Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Food for Thought, where we talk about anything and everything as it pertains to health, wellness, and being your best self. I'm Carissa McKay, one of the health promotion specialists at Edmonton, and today we are going to dive into sleep, though I hope you will be able to stay awake to hear all the tips, tricks, and no-nos that will help you get your seven to nine hours of shut-eye. Today, I'm joined by both my awesome colleagues in health promotion, Heather Garo-Miller and Nicole Emerson. Welcome back. Hello. Hello. Happy to be here. Excellent. All right. Let's start with a quick round the table poll. How do you both sleep, generally speaking? Good sleeper, bad sleeper, non-sleeper? Well, I would say for me, pretty terrible. I struggle to fall asleep because I often have ruminating thoughts and I struggle to stay asleep because of menopause and hot flashes. And then silly me decided to add a puppy to the mix. And he thinks that 4 a.m. walks are perfect timing. Awesome. Well, <laughs> I mean, I guess if you're not sleeping, you may as well be walking. So, <laughs> so true. <laughs> okay, so not so great on the on that on that front. Nicole, how about you? You know, I would put myself in the good sleeper column. I I can fall asleep. I can stay asleep as long as my two young children don't wake me up, which it's kind of outside of my control. <laughs> so some nights are great, other nights not so much. But all in all pretty good sleeper. That's awesome. That's awesome. Well, that's really interesting. So I would say that, yeah, children and pets aside, um, I would classify myself as a pretty good sleeper most of the time too. I would actually say that based on my household, that I'm actually one of the lucky ones, knock on wood, because both my husband and my daughter struggle to fall or stay asleep on a pretty regular basis. So how none of my sleeping rubbed off on my daughter, I don't know. But so we sort of cover the whole gamut here, which I think is good in terms of like our experience here as health promoters, just to sort of give people a perspective on how different sleep is for everybody and how hard we may or may not have to work to get it. And I think that we can probably all talk about the not so great effects when we fail to catch those elusive Z's, even though I hate to say Z's because it's like the American Z, but anyway, to catch Z's sounds really weird. Anyway, let's start. So let's start with why sleep is important. Nicole, do you want to weigh in on why we really need to try to get as much sleep as consistently as we can? Sure. And I I feel your pain when it comes to like household children not sleeping well. When my son was a baby, there was a point in time where I I honestly thought I would never sleep again. (laughs) Thankfully, we've moved past that. And he's, for the most part, a good sleeper. Um, which is lucky because our yeah. joke for the longest time was that we were on day 1,468 <laughs> of sleep training. So I can pretty much say sleep training. I'm going to go out there and say it doesn't work because just as you can't make yourself fall asleep, you can also not make your child fall asleep. True. Yes. But <laughs> as anyway. much as we would love to, but yes. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, sorry. I totally derailed you. Carry on. No, no worries. <laughs> but yeah, when we, we need to have that sleep, we know that no matter what, how old we are because it does a lot of those really essential things, or perhaps more accurately, when we sleep, some really essential things are able to happen. So what we know about sleep so far, and the research is ongoing, because it is notoriously hard to study sleep, as you can imagine, is that when we sleep, a couple of really key things happen. One being physical restoration, it allows our bodies the chance to repair itself. Deep sleep is when we heal, burn fat, and build muscle. For people who are struggling with weight, either to gain or lose it, 
one of the first things they may want to consider is whether or not they're getting enough sleep. Another thing that happens is information processing and storage. It's in REM sleep as opposed to deep sleep that things we learned or experienced are being processed and stored for later retrieval. So when you're on a course or in school, it's important that you get enough sleep rather than pulling an all-nighter to ensure that your learning is going to be available come exam or practice day. The next thing is house cleaning for the brain. In addition to the storage retrieval process, when we sleep, our brains literally get cleaned. The cerebrospinal fluid, or CSF, washes through our brain and rinses away the day's buildup of amyloid proteins that, if allowed to accumulate, can become the plaques that are linked to dementia and Alzheimer's. So sleep is key to good brain functioning. Another one is strengthening the immune system. The whole inflammation process is integrally connected to getting enough sleep. So to keep inflammation down, which we know is linked to development of heart disease, diabetes, and cancer, it's important that we get the sleep we need consistently to reduce our risk of development of chronic diseases. And lastly, but not least, mood regulation. We know how we feel, and perhaps more importantly, how we behave when we haven't gotten enough sleep. We're cranky, irritable, impatient generally not super awesome to be around. So mood regulation that happens with adequate sleep will make all those people in our lives more likely to actually want to spend time with us. Wow, that is a lot of stuff that sleep can impact. And when you think about how many people are running around chronically sleep deprived, yikes. From a public health and health promotion perspective, it's one of the biggest things that is relatively easy to achieve that would net us a huge cost savings in terms of healthcare, not to mention an increase in the quality of life of all of those people. Now that we know just how important sleep is, how are we doing when it comes to how much sleep we actually need? Well, interestingly enough, people between the ages of 25 and 64, as you said, need that seven to nine hours of sleep every night. But Canadian statistics show that one in four adults between 18 to 34, one in three adults between 35 to 64, and one in four adults age 65 to 79 are not getting enough sleep. So that is between a third to a quarter of the population that is chronically sleep deprived. That is not good news when it comes to accident rates, job performance, risk of injury. And like you mentioned, just your quality of life. I'm in a way totally not surprised to hear that the numbers are that high, especially given the last couple of years, obviously, with all the additional stuff going on with the pandemic, global affairs, the environment, it's enough to turn anyone into an insomniac. Is there any objective or subjective data that may explain why so many people are having a hard time getting enough sleep? Well, it's pretty interesting. That same report that came from Health Canada showed that there were a number of factors that came into play when it comes to who does and who doesn't sleep. So the first thing that they considered was more sedentary time. Adults who get insufficient sleep report an average of four hours of sedentary time a day, compared to an average of 3.5 hours for adults who do get adequate sleep. The second thing they looked at was chronic stress. So 36.3% of adults who get insufficient sleep report having chronic stress compared to 23.2% of adults who get adequate sleep. And the last thing is poor mental health. 12.3% of adults who get insufficient sleep 
report having poor mental health compared to 5.8% of adults who did get adequate sleep. And then the question becomes, is it the chicken or the egg? Is it the lack of sleep causing all of these things? Or is it all of these things causing the lack of sleep? And I think it sort of is a bit of a vicious cycle that we get ourselves in. Oh, absolutely. What I think was so interesting with those numbers is it was just a half an hour difference for the sedentary time for people. Like that half an hour, if you just get up and move just that little incrementally bit more, it might have a significant impact on your sleep. So I think it speaks to all of those things that we've ever talked about in terms of building in as much movement as you can. Stress, I'm not surprised at all, but that's a significant difference. 23.2 versus 36.3. That's like fully 10 plus points different. So yeah, like, like you said, are we ruminating about this stuff and not sleeping or are we not sleeping? And it's causing us to feel more stressed out because there's this negative feedback loop that we have. And the mental health piece is huge. I think it goes back to the sedentary time piece, because if we could get more active, we know activity helps with mental health. So the more active you are, the better you're going to feel your mental health will improve. You're going to be more active. And I know it's not this cut and dried, but it just feels like a formula for a couple of really easy things to do to improve your sleep. The stress that we are all feeling is definitely impacting our sleep. And also not surprisingly, the mental health tsunami, the effects we are only now beginning to feel is probably further impacting people's ability to sleep. Why should we be worried about this? Does it really matter? I know that there are still a lot of people who are convinced that sleep is a waste of precious time and that they'll sleep when they're dead. And I really feel like we need to set the record straight here. Well, for those people, I would like to say, sorry, (laughs) you absolutely need to sleep now, or you might find yourself with around five or so less years of living, which not coincidentally is the average amount of years of life lost by people who work shift work for most of their working lives. And that has been attributed to sleep loss. There are a lot of things that happen when we don't get enough sleep in terms of health impacts. In the short term, we experience more stress. And what I mean by that is that even though there might not be anything else happening to cause us stress above normal, we feel it more acutely when we are sleep deprived. We also see appetite changes because of cortisol that increases as a result of the stress that we are feeling from not getting enough sleep, which sets off a chain reaction with our ghrelin levels that go up and leptin goes down. This problem is because according to an article by Cloak, Jacobs, Dottier, and Drent, leptin is the mediator of long-term regulation of energy balance, suppressing food intake and thereby inducing weight loss. Ghrelin, on the other hand, is a fast-acting hormone seemingly playing a role in meal initiation. So if we are always wanting to eat and never feeling satisfied, we could be setting ourselves up for real problems, even if we are, by and large, choosing a balanced plate approach to eating. It's hard to fight against our internal chemistry. That doesn't sound good at all. So more stress, possible changes to our appetite, and possibly even an ability to maintain a healthy weight. Is there anything else? (laughs) Yep. (laughs) The bad news doesn't end there, unfortunately, but it will get better. We've already mentioned the role that sleep has in emotional regulation. So when we don't get enough sleep, we are more irritable. And because of how important that brain cleansing and information processing is, we are also more likely to experience learning difficulties. And even if we don't have a learning disorder per se, our learning becomes disordered when we don't sleep enough. 
And then we move into the longer term issues. In case that wasn't enough to make you think twice about staying up and watching that next episode of your latest Netflix series, because of the hormone changes, that mix up with ghrelin and leptin, there is an increased risk of obesity, diabetes, uh, cardiovascular disease, cancer, and dementia. The irony is that even if you are doing all the right things, like eating as well as you can and being active and doing things to keep your brain stimulated, in the absence of enough sleep, your risk for these chronic conditions is still higher. So the image of the three-legged stool where each leg is represented by one of active living, one of healthy eating, and one of adequate sleep, sleep is really the linchpin in that model. I really like that image, Heather, because I think that we have in the realm of health promotion and public health messaging generally done a pretty good job of increasing the awareness of how important eating well and being active are. And even though I know that we have a long way to go where everyone is just doing those things consistently, I don't think that we've talked about sleep enough and just how important it is to our overall well-being day to day, but clearly also in the long term. I think that we can see that one aspect that we need to make sure that people consider is how they are managing the stress in their lives, because we know it can impact sleep. And we want that third leg of the stool to be solid. So being able to find that right amount of stress is key, knowing what you can control and what you need to let go of setting boundaries so that you can find a balance between what you have to do and what you would like to do and making sure you have good positive coping strategies in place, whether that's yoga or journaling or meditation or a gratitude practice, those are all still important. But what else should we do to make sure that we can get the quantity and quality of sleep that we need? Well, it's not really that complicated, even though the name for it is a bit random, sleep hygiene. At the end of the day, it's about just doing things that are going to increase the likelihood that you will have a good night's sleep. People should start by considering when they go to sleep and get up. A sleep schedule where you go to bed and get up around the same time every day, seven days a week, with maybe a little bit of wiggle room on the weekends is important. We need to sleep train ourselves just like we try with our kids. With more or less success, but sorry, carry on. (laughs) Right. We also need to have a sleep routine. What you do to get ready to sleep, again, just like with our kids, it might not be a bath, a story, and a snuggle, although that might be nice, but it could include no more TV or computer time, a nice warm shower to unwind, some reading or listening to music or a sleep app or a podcast, something that's going to help you unwind. Then you need to make sure that your sleep environment is as conducive to a restful sleep as possible. Get the best mattress, bedding, and pillows that you can afford. Keep the room cool around 18 degrees and dark and uncluttered. It sounds idyllic. It makes total sense. So what you're essentially doing is setting the stage for the production that is sleep, and you want to make sure that you have all the right pieces in place. Makes sense. Anything else? Yes, just a couple more things. But They can be really impactful. Everyone knows that I'm a big proponent of being active and being as active as you can, but there is a caveat. Try not to work out within ideally three hours of going to bed. You want to be calm, cool, collected when you hit the hay, not all hot and bothered. You want to make sure that you're well hydrated because being thirsty in the middle of the night is going to disrupt your sleep. And there are a few more things to consider. Try to avoid caffeine after 1400 especially if you are caffeine sensitive. Also, avoid alcohol as a sleep aid as it will interfere with the quality of your sleep. Even though it might make you sleepy, and the same is true of cannabis. And interestingly, nicotine 
as a stimulant can also interfere with sleep as the craving or nighttime nicotine withdrawal can actually wake a person up. So if you're thinking about quitting, getting better sleep might be just the last bit of motivation that you actually need. And the last thing from a food perspective, it's a good idea to try to eat well throughout the day, obviously, but at night, if a bedtime snack is in order, you may want to choose something with some protein and some complex carbs. The carbs will help provide you the serotonin you need to make melatonin that will make you sleepy and the serotonin is needed to keep you asleep. And for the protein, something like cottage cheese is great because the slow digesting casein will be available by your body all night to help with that muscle building and repair, especially important if you have done a workout that day. All right. So that's quite a list. And we will put a downloadable cheat sheet in the podcast tab with this information in it so you can access it easily. I think it's also a good idea for people who want more information to request a briefing since we can actually go into a bit more detail and talk about some of the things we weren't able to cover in the podcast like insomnia, the phases and stages of sleep, sleep debt, and sleep banking. There are a couple of options that you have. You can access this as part of our Mission Ready Performance Triad series or as a standalone piece. Call or email us for more information. Our number is 780-973-4011, extension 6146, or email us at healthpromotionedmonton at forces.gc.ca, or of course, check us out on calfconnection.ca backslash Edmonton backslash health promotion. Awesome. Thanks for that, Heather. Nicole, any final thoughts? Just that sleep is so important and that we really shouldn't underestimate its potential to improve our health, but also that of the organization we work for. When we are functioning on adequate sleep, we make better decisions, perform better, and are more pleasant to be around, which sounds like a winning combination to me. Agreed. Totally agree. Thank you, Nicole and Heather, so much for this great discussion around sleep and why it's so important for all of us to get those proverbial American Zs. Thanks for listening, everyone. And hopefully you were able to pick up a few things that you might be able to do to increase your chances of getting a good sleep so that you can be your best, regardless of what you do, where you are, or your goals. Join us again for another episode of Food for Thought. And in the meantime, take care, stay healthy, and we'll see you on the flip-flop.